0: For Tuesday, December 8th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, controlling the coronavirus isn't just about putting appropriate public health measures in place. Officials also have to be good at explaining them.
1: You need to have both policies in place as well as consistent messaging of recommendations for how to prevent the spread.
0: Holly Wilkin, who teaches public health communication at Georgia State University, joins me to discuss the role of effective messaging in slowing the spread of COVID-19. That's next. You love free.
1: Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org.
0: Getting people to take COVID-19 seriously is a delicate balancing act. Public health officials need to get people just scared enough, but also show them ways to stay safe, says Holly Wilkin. She teaches health communication at Georgia State University, and she's with me now to discuss how effectively public health officials are communicating about the pandemic as it surges across the country. Holly, thanks for talking with me.
1: You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for asking me.
0: I want to start just by talking about the current situation here in Georgia and across the country. So we're seeing here in Georgia what we're seeing across much of the country. The pandemic is growing, and it really has been for weeks. Are people raising enough alarm here about the pandemic and and kind of how it's growing?
1: We have not done a good job from the very beginning of the pandemic of communicating about the pandemic. By now, yes, you would assume that as we're having yet another surge in this country that people would be aware and they would be doing everything they could to try to reduce the likelihood of spread. But I think that there's been a disinformation campaign that has been running consecutively (laughs) alongside it, uh, which has made it very difficult for people who have been trying to raise the alarm, as you say, to actually Get the information out there that people need to know in order to take the disease seriously and to do everything they can to prevent the spread. We're seeing, you know, across the country where hospitals are pushed to their max and the healthcare workers are not getting any breaks and it's preventing them from both taking care of the patients they have for the pandemic, but also all of the other health issues that people might be needing the hospitals for. And so, yeah, I think we have not raised the alarm enough, but I also think that there are people who are still in disbelief.
0: When we're thinking about a public health threat that can really have dire consequences for people, say, if they do catch the coronavirus, what is the role of of fear? And and should we be hearing more about how scary this situation is from our state leaders, from our federal leaders?
1: I'm really glad you asked that question. The research says you scare people too much, then they're not going to take you seriously. And the interesting thing with public health crises is that in the past, when we've raised fear just enough that people take it seriously and they do the preventative measures, then it doesn't become as large of an outbreak. And people are saying, oh, well, you know, you said the last pandemic was going to be this horrible thing and that didn't happen. The research also shows that if you're on the other end, that if you don't raise fear enough, that people aren't going to take it seriously either. And so it's always this concept of how do we raise the right amount of fear? There's also this idea that you have different elements at play. You have perceived susceptibility. So am I myself actually at risk? Perceived severity, which is it's something that I should be afraid of because what's going to happen is really bad, right? With that, you can't just tell people, hey, you're at risk without giving them solutions. And so what we need to do is also raise self-efficacy that here's the solutions, you wearing a mask, but also there's response efficacy that if I do these behaviors that you're promoting, I can actually prevent these bad outcomes. And so most of the research says you need all four of those elements in the messages in order for people to take the precautions that you want them to take.
0: Assess for me, if you could, how you feel like our state leaders are doing here. I'm, I'm thinking about Governor Brian Kemp. I'm thinking about Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who leads our State Department of Public Health. Are there things that they've been doing that you think have really been working? Or are there things that you think that they could be doing better?
1: I think that they have given proper messaging at different times of wear your mask, social distance, et cetera, but that they have in Im- Governor Kemp's case contradicted that messaging by doing things like suing Atlanta in order to prevent mask mandates. You need to be able to have the message be consistent. And so I think we needed to have consistently from the get-go messaging that prioritized public health and that listened to the public health experts. And I think that Probably not intentionally, but that the messages becomes less effective if you end up contradicting the message that you're giving out by having either policy that does not support the messaging that you're doing or by, you know, in some cases with them, they've tended to wear masks, but sometimes we see people hosting events that have a bunch of people gathered and are not wearing masks. And so you can't in one hand say, oh, hey, we need to wear masks and then have images of you walking around without a mask.
0: That to me seems to get at this tension that we've seen throughout this pandemic of political considerations versus public health considerations. Is there a way for a politician to, or an elected official to serve both at the same time? Can they make decisions that are good for the public health and also good for politics?
1: That's a very interesting question. Public health should not be political, but it has become politicized. And if you look in other countries, they've managed to do both successfully, that what is best for the public is also aligned with their political platforms, that you don't see people in some of these other countries taking hard lines on public health expertise based on their political views, they're going based on science and what science is telling us is best in this particular situation. Um, We've come to this place where somehow people are seeing the economy as separate than public health and using that to make arguments about how to best handle a pandemic because they are intertwined. So it's interesting to me that we've come to a place where it's being considered as a political issue When really the public's health should not be political because everybody is impacted.
0: There's just been, in a bunch of different ways, kind of an assault on the world of public health and its trust with the public. How is that restored at this point? What can and should public health leaders be doing to turn back that tide?
1: We've always known that there are certain segments of the population that trust public health organizations. Less than other groups, right? But because of this interference and the result of the interference being mixed messaging coming out of the CDC over the summer about different preventative measures, I think it's made for a more widespread distrust that we haven't had previously. And so I think it's going to take a while to reestablish that trust with the public. And unfortunately, When you have a pandemic happening, you don't exactly have a lot of time to be doing that reestablishing trust. At this point, I think that our best efforts are going to be more grassroots type of efforts, that we need to be identifying community leaders that people trust in and using community health workers and other groups like that to help spread the public health news through channels that people trust and eventually work up to them trusting some of these institutions that they may not trust anymore.
0: This is, Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead joined today by Holly Wilkin. She teaches health communication at Georgia State University. We're talking about the role of consistent messaging and slowing the pandemic. We could see two COVID-19 vaccines given emergency approval In the next few weeks, Americans are being asked to put faith in these in these vaccines. Do you think that there's enough public trust out there to get people to actually take these vaccines?
1: I am hopeful that there will be enough trust, but possibly one of the good things about the fact that the vaccine is going to be rolling out in the way that it will. They're going to start with high priority groups because there's not going to be enough vaccines available. So I think it's going to roll out over enough different months that hopefully we'll have people within people's social networks who have gotten it, who can share their experiences with it. So I'm ho- hopeful that that might help. But as we know, there has been an anti-vaccination movement in this country and around the world for a while now. And so we're dealing both with having a segment of the population who is against vaccines that we also have to reach, but we also have people who have concerns because of how quickly this vaccine has been developed of a will it be safe enough.
0: This is a product that has been developed quickly and as much as public officials and elected officials want to reassure people and kind of the, the soundness of the science, this is gonna be approved under an emergency use authorization potentially. I mean, this is this is a fast track, it's a much lower bar to approval. How can public health communicators address the fact that there are still lots of unknowns with these vaccines? How can you tell people to be confident in something if if really the verdict is out on some some big questions?
1: That is a good question. I think they'll concentrate most likely on the results of all the different rounds of testing that happened in order to get the vaccines to this phase and be open about, you know, a lot of people do have some sort of side effects to taking it. And so know that those are out there. But I think at the end of the day, they'll be highlighting what we do know about the disease right now in comparison to what we know about the risk level with the vaccine. So we know that our hospitals are overrun, et cetera. And so it's a risk of getting the disease versus risks associated with the vaccine itself that I think will be part of the messaging. But I think you're right that until we see the side effects and other things that could happen, that there are going to be people that are going to wait.
0: We're seeing again and again just kind of the fundamental tension of communicating about an ever-evolving situation. It just seems like public health officials have this impossible task of wanting to provide a message of certainty in an ever-changing situation.
1: Yes, and and that is something that I've actually talked to my students about for years, and now we have a very real-life example (laughs) to show us just how much that is possible to happen. Information changes over time. And I think one of the more difficult things is that you need to get clear, consistent, concise messages out about what we know when we know it. But recognizing that those messages might change as science changes or as knowledge changes and that that can end up influencing people's perceptions of trust in you. And so I think we saw it probably most drastically with the masking science, because early on they were saying, no, it might make it worse because you'll be touching your face more and, you know, your eyes and all that kind of stuff. And then it became clear that it is a way to stop the spread of the disease. And when they started telling people to wear masks, you had people saying, oh, no, no, masks are going to make it worse. You said so. And so how do we say, okay, we were wrong. This is what we know. And we need to move forward and get enough people on board and agreeing to do the behavior. And so you have to be able to acknowledge there was a mistake based on knowledge that we had at the time. And so I think that above all else is the major thing that we've seen throughout this one where what we know changes, which then adds a complication of how to best communicate it.
0: No one wants to admit they're wrong. <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's it's especially for an elected official, there are some incentives for them to never admit wrongdoing. It just strikes me that that is not what anyone is programmed to do is to admit faults, even though it's not their fault that science changes necessarily. How can public leaders navigate that?
1: I think that is where probably they should take a cue from people in public relations. So, in the field of public relations, people tend to, when they make a mistake that might hurt their credibility in the eyes of the public, public relations officials usually encourage them to get in front of it and to make sure that they're out there, they're acknowledging that they were wrong, and that. They are humble and they're ready to fix it and move forward. And so you see that whenever there's a scandal. You know, this shouldn't be a scandal. It's, this is what we knew then. This is what we know now. And so I think it's best to just get out there and say, okay, I gave you the information based on what I knew at the time. We've now learned a lot more about this disease. This is what we know now. And therefore, this is my recommendations now and even changing some of the policies based on what we know now is also a good thing. You know, we now know that this is an airborne disease. We were not 100% sure of that before, and as a result of knowing that and also knowing that we have asymptomatic spread, we know that wearing a mask will help prevent the spread. We also know maintaining your distance of six feet or more, reducing the number of people that are in any kind of indoor space helps reduce the spread. And therefore, based on what we know now, this is what we're going to do going forward.
0: In the field of public health, communications is really about, in some cases, life and death, right? This is a deadly disease and public health officials are tasked with making sure people understand how to keep themselves safe. But It really seems like the key challenge with so much of this is just effectively communicating what we know.
1: The people that are on the ground in the hospitals and having to take care of patients are at the forefront of this. You also have essential workers who are in jobs that don't have the ability to work from home. And there's all kinds of different ways that you can approach that, what's happening right now and the issues involved. But I think that, yes, at the end of the day, in order to control it, that you need to have both policies in place as well as consistent messaging of the public health recommendations for how to prevent the spread. And what we've been seeing is that we don't have effective communication at all levels of our society right now that has been consistent in promoting the public health recommendations. And so I think that, yes, as far as trying to reduce the spread of the disease, that communication is extremely important. Um, and making sure that we have a consistent message through all of the communication channels is especially important at this time.
0: Holly Wilkin teaches health communication at Georgia State University. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets in PR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org/slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening.
1: The world is full of mysteries.